morning hopefully you had a fantastic weekend and uh, i know i had a, a nice weekend myself as well and uh wendy wanted to uh, wendy wanted to get some mulching done around the house so we got the mulching done around the house and uh, she's a happy camper i'm a happy camper and uh, so that was that was good it was a it, kind of a full emotional uh, uh, ministry weekend in, in many ways uh, for me this weekend uh, with the passing of a dear saint from our church here in Moral, Maine. Uh, man, really a pillar of his family, a pillar of our church, a pillar of the community as well. And uh, But he is now in the presence of the Lord, our dear friend Gary Sheldon. And uh, so last week, a lot of uh, uh, emotional capital just going into trying to minister to to their family and um, 
there will be uh, an opportunity to celebrate his life uh, coming up on July the 16th. Um, but that was our weekend, and uh, uh, got to spend a nice afternoon yesterday with, with some folks and uh, just sitting out on our patio and chatting and talking and uh, such a such an enjoyable time. And today, some more folks. But I'm glad that you were here. Uh, someone asked, well, it's a holiday. Are you going to still broadcast? Well, the thing does say Monday through Friday. And uh, while there's a part of my body that would have said, you could sleep in until 7 o'clock or so this morning, the other part of my heart going, no, 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 no. Get up and uh, get into God's Word with folks this morning because we need to be in God's Word every day. So whether, you know, I can do it by myself, but I enjoy spending time uh, with you in God's Word. We're in the book of Ephesians, uh, and we're in the first chapter. Uh, last week, we... Uh, kind of rounded out the week, not uh, not quite getting as far as I thought we would get because of some of the questions that came up about the the role and the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, but uh, now we press on a little bit further in this passage, uh, getting down into Paul's thanksgiving and prayer. I mean, that's the heading. You can see the heading there. Uh, and perhaps if you're looking at your own Bible, maybe there is a, a heading there for you as well. But uh, Paul just says this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the entirety of this, then I'll come back and make commentary upon it. It says, for this reason, all the things that he has just said in the previous verses, for, the, for this reason, uh, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, uh, asking, uh, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand even in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, let me just come back up to verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, uh, two things that come out there. You notice the two parts of this verse. Uh, verse 15, for this reason, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, I mean, does our faith, does our life of faith uh, tend to be one that others would hear about? Do others hear about our belief? Do others hear about our trust? Do others hear about our walk of walk with God? Is Are those things evident to other people that they would hear about our faith, uh, that they would hear about how we've turn to God, that they would hear about our faithfulness and relationship with God, that they would that they would know those things. Uh, 
ever since I heard about your faith, that, that we would have such a, a, a viral faith in our own lives, such a vital faith in our own lives that, uh, that others would be hearing about it. When others think of us, they would think of a man of faith. I mean, I just shared about my friend Gary, and uh, I mean, there's a person that I think many people who knew Gary would go, if you think about him, he's a man of faith, no doubt about it. And so Paul's saying, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. I mean, does our faith precede us? Uh, is our faith evident in our lives? Do, do people hear about our faith? Uh, and it says, and your love for all the saints. So there are two things. Not only our love for Jesus, but uh, I mean, our, our faith in Jesus, but our love for the saints. Uh, do people, uh, is that the other thing that's evident? Now, I, I don't know about you. I've been around some people that will talk about their faith, but they're also sometimes quite unloving toward the family of God. Uh, and there's an inconsistency in that. We we need to demonstrate faith in Christ, absolutely, but we also need to have love for his people. So what does that look like for you? Uh, do, do people hear about our love for the saints? Uh, when, when people would think about our fellowship or people would think about your fellowship, uh, wherever you may be, be it uh, in Virginia or Lancaster, Pennsylvania, or Nairobi, Kenya, uh, Mazaki, uh, over there, I mean, do people also see our love for the saints? There is that inconsistency sometimes. People, you know, they carry a big Bible and and they open their Bible and they, they look to be people of faith, but but there's not a whole lot of love dripping off of them. I mean, this this is a regular theme uh, in the writings of the Apostle Paul, the idea of faith, uh, love. And then there's a third in the little triad, faith, hope, and can you remember what the third is? I'll give you the chance. Faith, hope, and blank. You can fill in the blank. Paul wrote about these things uh, on a regular basis, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, that God would fill us with love for the saints. That That's what needs to happen in our lives, that, that, that our, our lives would be overflowing with love for the saints. Now, sometimes we're hard to love. Uh, that, that's Truth be told, we are. Sometimes we're cantankerous. Sometimes we uh, we hold grudges. Sometimes we're uh, inconsiderate. Sometimes we are just, you can again fill in the blank. But what are we at times for this reason? Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do we have faith? It, does our faith uh, precede us? So, Faith, love, and no, it's not charity. Charity and uh, love are the same thing. So um, uh, looking for a different answer. No buzzer on that. Great answer. Great word. But charity and love would be the same word. Paul, again, wrote about this triad very, very frequently. He's speaking in this verse, verse 15, about your faith and your love. But there are three things that Paul often would speak together of in his writings. There's faith, love, and then Fran got it over there, hope. Faith, love, and hope. Do we possess those in such a way that when people would look at us, they would go, yep, that's 
that's a person of faith there. That 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 right there, yep, she's a woman of faith. Or, yep, that, that person right there, oh, the love that that person demonstrates. Uh, or even when life is hopeless, seemingly hopeless, we are people of hope. God's people should be people of faith, of love, and of hope because God has given us so much to believe in. He has demonstrated to us so much love that you and I should be able to to pour out that love to others, and he is giving us an an absolutely certain hope that we would hold out and hold on to those things and that those things would be evident in our lives, faith, hope, and love. Verse 15, he said, since I've heard about your faith and your love, I mean, do people hear about our faith and our love as Christians uh, and and even as a group of believers uh, at Veracity Chapel or wherever your church home is do people hear about it? Would it proceed? Would it be evident in your lives? I, I frequently talk about Jesus just kind of dripping off of our lives, that we would be living so much in Jesus that he would just drip off of our lives, and and that would be evident in our faith, in our love, and in our hope. Now, Paul goes on further in this verse, and he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, one of the most amazing things about Paul is the fact that he was a man of prayer. Paul prayed greatly. Paul prayed regularly. Paul prayed consistently. And one of the things about Paul, you can step back and go, well, well, how could he be uh, such a man of prayer as this? And, and we can ask that question. I mean, how could Paul be such a man of prayer? Well, Paul, from what we know, was an unmarried man, so he did not have his... Uh, interests divided. Uh, He was able to focus fully on the kingdom of God, something that he would write about in 1 Corinthians 7, that those who are not married, I mean, they can give themselves wholly and fully to to the things of God. Uh, But when you're married, you you need and should and would want to give some of your some of your uh, interest and attention and love uh, to your spouse. That, that is an absolute truth. Paul did not have a wife. He did not have children. And it's, it's possible, uh, maybe even likely, that not only did Paul uh, not have those things. He he may not have had a home at this point in time. He may have, have gotten rid of his home uh, so that he could go and do the ministry they did. I mean, all those years of travel, I, I didn't add them up, but, you know, perhaps 20 years, well, uh, yeah, 20 years or more, maybe even 30 years, 25 to 30 years of traveling, starting the church. Uh because Paul didn't have a wife, because Paul didn't have a, a lawn to mow, because Paul didn't have mulch to put down around the flower beds, because uh, Paul didn't have a patio to blow the leaves off of, because uh, Paul didn't have a car to wash, uh, because Paul didn't have a house to vacuum, uh, he could give himself more fully to prayer. Now, now I say all that not to say that having any of those things is bad. I'm not trying to say that, but but we ask the question: How could Paul devote himself so much to that type of prayerfulness? Well, 
I mean, really, really, it's quite simple. He could devote himself to that type of prayerfulness because he did not have other things vying for his attention. Uh, all those things I just talked about. And so for ourselves, I mean, one of the things that the realities we can, the more stuff you have, the more stuff you have to fix, right? You know, you get that computer, and then it's got to update, and then you've got to make the printer work with the computer, and then, oh, well, I, you need a lawnmower, then you need a weed eater, then you need a different type of weed eater, then you need a, a riding mower, and then um, you need to have this gadget and that gadget and the other gadget, and and, and you need to have a four-wheeler, then you need to have a side-by-side. Again, none of those things are wrong, but, but friends, I mean, the reality is the more stuff you have, the more stuff you've got to fix. It's the truth. It's a reality. And so when you're focused on those things, maybe you can't be focused on prayerfulness. Now, I mean, you can you can type a you, you can not type. You can tape a prayer list uh, onto the hood of your lawn tractor and be reading and praying through your prayer list as you're mowing your grass. I, I used to do that. I mean, those are things you can do. But but the more things that we have to divide our attention, the less prayerful we can be. Now, I, I'm I'm not trying to say you know don't go to work. I'm not trying to say you know, don't cut your grass. None of those things. I'm, I'm just saying that the more things we have, the more things that will divide our attention. It's just simple. Uh, it's just a simple equation. We all only have so much time. And, and how could Paul give so much time to prayer is because he didn't have these other divided interests. Going on again with what Paul had to say, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. He was thankful for their lives. I mean, they, they were I'm not going to say too much about this Ephesus. I will save that for next Sunday's sermon. It's something I was supposed to cover this past week, but didn't cover because I just I simply had too much to share. And uh, so we'll come back to it next week to learn about what Ephesus was like. When you realize what these people turn from to turn to the living God, no wonder why Paul gave thanks for them and why he remembered there was also a good reason for for him to remember them in his prayers and, and the reason to remember them in his prayers was because of the very city that the culture in which they lived and we need to think about that our in our own uh, experience our own culture where we live and, and how how much prayer it's going to take uh, i believe in the next decade and next uh, 10 to 20 years uh, living out our faith. We're not going to go back to the days, I don't think, when when living out the faith is going to be the happy post-World War II uh, type of experience and, and where if you wanted a better name for yourself, you went to the church. We are living in a culture where, you know, to associate, associate yourself with Christ and associate yourself with the church now sometimes has negative connotations to culture because culture has dismissed and holds with great skepticism uh, the faith that we possess and the Jesus whom we worship. It was the same way in Ephesus in the days uh, that this letter was written. So to remember them in his prayers is a reason that he's remembering them because of the culture in which they live. Now let's continue on down through here. In fact, let's not continue quite yet. Grab that cup of coffee if you have it. I'm going to take a little sip. Let's have a little. Yes, it's my Alaska mug. 
I thoroughly enjoy Alaska. Um, I don't know that I would want to move there because the people, my peeps, love me here. Um, go where God wants us to go. And I think right now that is right here. Let's go on with the passage. It says, uh, I keep asking that the God of our that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I want to jump to the end of verse 16, uh, verse 17, where it says, so that you may know him better. His prayer was that they would know him better. Our prayer would be that... Uh, that we would know him better. Uh, our, our prayer, our work together with one another should be a work where we're trying to help each other get to know Christ better, get to know Christ's word better, uh, get to uh, where we help each other love Jesus more. Uh, that's the work, to love Jesus more. Sometimes we make it our work to help people be more moral, not, not M-O-R-R-I-L-L, like the town in which we live, but, but moral, M-O-R-A-L. We want people to be moral in that way. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. If we help people pursue Jesus, if we help people uh, love Jesus, if we help people uh, want to, to to know God better and to study God's word, the Holy Spirit is going to convict people about much of that moral stuff. Now, that's not that there's never the time for us to hold each other to a moral standard and to challenge each other that way. But I want to suggest that that is second to us challenging each other to the love of God to pouring our hearts out to God, to to walking with God. Because if we're challenging each other to that and we're challenging each other into the scriptures and we're challenging each other into prayerfulness, the Holy Spirit is going to confront us about so much uh, of the, the moral or the immoral in our lives. So verse 17, he said at the end of the verse, and then I'll go back and work my way backward, he said that you might know him better. What's he praying? He is praying that the people may know Christ better. Verse 17, beginning, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may help you know him better. I mean, that that's you could shorten it up that way. We could say that, uh, that that's what he's wanting to do for us to get to know him better. For Friends, for you and I to be in the scriptures, to get to know God better, for you and I to read Christian books that will help us get to know Christ better. I mean, that's just simply what it is that we need to do. So, uh, and we ought to do, and we, we would want to do, when we think of all that Christ has done for us, to want to know him better. So his prayer, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and notice what he calls him. He doesn't just say the Father, the God and Father. He calls him the glorious Father. I mean, he again, he always adds these adjectives uh, uh, to his to his descriptions. He's a glorious father. He is a, mag a, a magnificent father. He is a majestic father. He is an all-powerful father. He is a uh, all-knowing father. He is an all-wise father. He is he is all these these things. He is a glorious father. And to think, you know, it's like you know, I I think my kids could be. 
could be proud of me, I I think. Uh, I mean, I, I've maintained a consistency in my work focus for, for 35 years. They could be proud of that, you know. Uh, they could be proud of the fact that, that uh, uh, I'm still loved all the places that I've been. I mean, they could be proud of that fact. Uh, they, they could be proud of the fact that... Um, you know, uh, of the academic accomplishments. They can be proud of those things. But I, I would tell you that, that my kids would be more proud of me if I were, you know, 60 pounds less than I am right now and had a checkerboard stomach because that matters to my kids. Then they might go, oh, you're you're our glorious father. Uh, or if I had never done anything that would uh, cause my children to, to be disheartened, and I can't say that is true. But our father is a glorious father. Everything about him is perfect. Everything about him is excellent. Everything about him is, I mean, what, what more can we say about our Heavenly Father? You know, some of us have father experiences where you can go back and you can boast on your dad. And Well, my dad was, you know, and all the good things about your dad, but yet some of us us, and my kids would be included in this, unfortunately, if they were to go back and recap our lives, yes, there, there would be a lot of good things, a lot of good memories that our kids might share. Uh, but, but you know, they could also remember anger and temper and, and things of that nature on the part of this earthly dad. But we don't have a heavenly father who is like that. We have a heavenly father who is glorious in every way. So to be reminded of what Paul says here about him, he is a glorious father. Now, another aspect I want to bring out here in verse 17 uh, is the Trinitarian aspect. Notice there are three the three parts. Those who, who question the Trinity and say, well, we just believe in one God. Well, I, I believe in one God, too. I believe in a Trinitarian God where, that, that consists of three persons. In one essence, the essence of God in three persons. Notice what it says. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's Jesus. The glorious Father, there's the Father. May give you the Spirit, there's the Spirit. And it goes on and says the Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The Trinity, all three encompassed in this verse for those that say, I I just I don't see the Trinity in the Bible anywhere. It's like, boy, you must have blinders on your eyes to not be able to see the Trinity. Here it is. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit gives us wisdom and revelation. Now, what, what is the point of the revelation? For some, the point of the revelation might be, well, I, I want to know things about people, or I want to know what's coming, or I want to know, you know, uh, the future, or I want to know. No. The point of the spirit of wisdom and revelation here is that we might know God better. Revelation, we had this conversation last week. If revelation is something where you're always looking for something new, different than what is contained within God's word, is that that you might know God better? Or is it all about your life and your circumstances. Paul's prayer here is that the people would know God better. Now, again, I, I want to say I know that there are people who, uh, and I have friends, dear friends, people that, who, whom I regard highly, respect greatly, love deeply, uh, who 
who maybe have a little bit different of a theological and experiential uh, view of, of what could be be meant to, by revelation than do I. But I regard those people. I, I love those people. And uh, I, I believe that they are balanced people, uh, not people who are, you know, one end of the spectrum, but then I also know people that go to the far end of the spectrum and and all the time, well, what does God's word say? I, I don't know, but let me tell you what God told me today. Um, again, I, I see people that, that are always about that, and yet I have dear people right here close to me uh, who, who don't go over there, but they do see things from the Lord, but it always points us to Jesus. It always points us to our walk with God. Paul, in this verse, saying this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. And then he goes on, verse 18 says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So before I go further into verse 18 with some more of these now uh, adverbs that Paul uses, the L-Y adverbs in verse 19, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. And, and he is praying for believers that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. Um He's already mentioned their faith, and he's mentioned their love. Now he's praying that their eyes might be enlightened. Friends, uh, do we have a desire to know more of God? Do we have a desire to to understand better the mind of God and the will of God and, and, and those types of things? Um, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Now, the, the word enlightened can have a negative connotation because of the enlightenment movement that went beyond God, maybe even outside of God. And, and, and people will even now say, well, because we're more enlightened, we don't believe that Bible stuff. Well, the, the, the word of the Lord endures forever. It will not change, and what it says will come to pass, even as what it has said in the past prophetically came to pass. What yet remains in the word of God prophetically will come to pass, and it is our prayer that the eyes of people uh, would be opened, would be enlightened, uh, that they might be able to see the truth of God's word, and that we might have eyes that are enlightened, that we might know the hope that, to which God has called us. And then, again, he uses this, this colorful language, and colorful in the best of senses. Often we talk about colorful language, it's kind of a more derogatory sense. But I mean this in the best of senses. He has called you. Uh, the hope to which he's called you. And, and of this hope, Paul writes, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, if in the saints is true, we are his inheritance. To think about it that way, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Uh, th that is a way that you could take this verse, that, that we are his inheritance, we are his prize, we are, are his precious possession, uh, and the riches of this glorious inheritance, uh, the hope of of this riches, the hope 
of uh, this inheritance that we all share. Now, that could be the other way you take it, that the inheritance that we as saints all share together with Christ, we share this inheritance, and it's a glorious inheritance. You know, it's it's not your name's in the will, and, oh, hey, by the way, here's five bucks. You're named in the will, here's your five bucks. Or uh, you're named in the will, oh, here's the special uh, big pen that uh, this person always used. This, this is what they gave you. Uh, for your inheritance. No, we have a glorious inheritance. We have an eternal inheritance. We have an inheritance that we share among ourselves as brothers and sisters every single day. Now, let's get into verse 19. Uh, There's always so much to talk about here. Verse 19, it talks about his incomparably great power for us who believe That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Let's just talk about this incomparably great power. He has given us an inheritance. He has given us incomparably great power. Friends, you and I do have the power to overcome. You and I do have the power to live life. You and I do have the but it's not within us. It's within Christ. And the best thing we can do is, is learn to live in Jesus. Learn to, to think of Jesus. Learn to have relationship on an ongoing basis in and with Jesus. He has given us a glorious inheritance. He's given us incomparably great power. And then he defines what this type of power is like, the power like the working of his mighty strength. And notice, again, Paul just doesn't say that power is like his strength. No, he says like his mighty strength. It isn't just strength, it's strong strength. Uh, It is exceedingly strong strength. That is mighty strength. It says, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You think about the power that it took to raise Christ from the dead. An absolute incredible power to raise him from the dead. That resurrection power is available for you and I. That that we would, would live in the resurrection power. That power is like... The working of his mighty strength, which says which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. We know Christ is seated uh, in the heavenly realms. And notice what it continues to say. Far above all rule and authority, far above all power and dominion, far above every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. Christ is above all of that. Any king that has ever ruled, any president that has ever presided, uh, any a dictator that has ever controlled, any tyrant that has ever subdued, uh, any any power uh, in any place on earth or in heaven, Christ's power, Christ's rule, Christ's authority is beyond all rule. It is beyond all authority. It is beyond every dominion. It is beyond every title that can be given. The highest title given with all caps, the title Lord. 
He is Lord of all things. And it says not only in the present age, but in the one to come. In fact, Paul could have went further here in verse 21. Now, I'm not saying that the word of God is incomplete. That's what I'm saying. There are other places in Scripture that would also point out the fact that not only in the present age, but in the former age, the present age, and in the one to come, I think that that can, can, can adequate, adequately be established in Scripture that Christ's power was in the past because he has been shown as the creator of the world, a creator and sustainer of the world. We studied that in the book of Colossians. Presently, he is also far above all authority and rule and power and dominion and every title and in the one to come. That is our Jesus. Verse 22 says, And God placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. All things are under the feet of Jesus, uh, especially in the church. Now you say, no, wait, that's not, not been my experience. I've experienced kind of some nasty neggies in the church sometimes. Yes, that is true. That's when we're not placing Christ in his appropriate place as Lord. Now you say, wait, if he's Lord, why do you have to place him there? Well, because we have the, the determination whether we're going to bow and surrender and follow his lead or do our own thing. That's why I say that. But yet in the ultimate sense, in the final sense, in the final analysis, everything concerning the church, in fact, everything concerning the entirety of the world and all the created things, uh, he is the head of all of it, actually, not just the head of the church, but for those of us in the church to remember, it isn't the apostle, it isn't the pastor, it isn't the elder, it isn't the person with the vision, it, it, it isn't the person with the degrees, it isn't any of those who has headship. It is Christ who is the head. It is Christ who is the ruler. It is Christ who is the Lord of his church. And it says the church, which is his body, to be reminded our place in this we are the body of Christ, and uh, that we would live as the body of Christ under his rule, that, that he would control our movements and, and, and all those parts of us. So God placed all things under his feet, appointing him head over everything which uh, for the church, which is his body. And then, and then speaking of this, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, which is the fullness, Christ the fullness or the body the fullness. I mean, we are the fullness of Christ represent, uh, representing him on this earth at this point in time. Um just the language here, you have to ask the question, uh, as it says in the last verse, uh, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God wants to fill his church. God wants to fill his people. God wants us to be filled right up to the brim and overflowing with him who fills everything in every way. I want to be filled with Jesus. Uh, and, and my prayer for you is that you would want to be filled with Jesus, that we would want to walk with Jesus, to know Jesus, to, to experience the things that's talked about here, to experience the sense of hope that comes from this glorious inheritance, to, to experience the power. And Paul says in Philippians, I, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection that we would want to know his power at work in our lives every day and that we would experience the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Well, friends, that's Paul's prayer. 
Paul's prayer for the Ephesians that they would know this incomparable, uh, incomparably majestic God. And that's my prayer for you today, that as you celebrate here in America, there are folks listening other places in the world, but here in America this July 4th, that as you think about the freedom that we have, that you would take full stock of that freedom to lean into Jesus absolutely as much as you can, to 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 enjoy Christian music, to enjoy Christian teaching, to enjoy Christian books, to enjoy the fellowship of the saints because we have that freedom here in America. Other places, not so much so but to lean into the freedoms. We, we have so much. I, I said this yesterday. We've been given our independence from another country, but we've learned to be too independent. We need to learn to be interdependent upon one another. And, and in the great independence, the great freedom that we have in America, we have more Christian radio and more Christian books, more Christian writings, more Christian podcasts coming out of America than any place else in the world. And yet oftentimes the church is anemic, because we don't lean into all those things. Let's lean into the full power. Let's lean into the full hope. Let's lean into the fullness that there is to be found in Christ. Lord, help us today. Help us today to to lean into you. Help us to want to know you. Help us to want to walk with you. Help us to want to experience you. And, And Lord, we pray that for brothers and sisters all around the world, that we would all want to know you more and to represent you better. And Lord, for those who hurt today, may they experience your comfort. For those that feel powerless today, may they experience your help. For those that feel dejected today, may you infuse them with with fresh, fresh perspective in Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And as has been said, Lord, hear our prayer. Have a great day, everyone. I'll see you again tomorrow morning. For those here in America, have a happy 4th of July.